And Holy Spirit, as we sang, we glorify your name. We welcome your presence in this meeting. Amongst our family members, every single person here, let your spirit fall on us right now. Right now, Lord, we just thank you as the Holy Spirit comes. And as we receive open hearts, open hands, open minds, Holy Spirit, come and do what you want to do in each one of us. Amen. So, the title of the preach, if you're taking notes, I see you're looking at your watch, what time is it, what time is lunch? <laughs> the title of my preach is, Are You Walking in Your Calling? I think, Jazz, you've heard this, I think you guys have heard it from Russell Bay, I think maybe, you, know, you weren't listening. <laughs> so, we, we, we are living in very challenging times right now, right? Hey, Don Bay, you're out of hospital. Well, welcome back, man. You were bitten by a spider and I saw that wound and it was ugly. Not you, the wound. <laughs> the person sitting next to you on your right, princess, he's ugly. I'm glad he's not on sound. <laughs> so we're facing very challenging times, yeah? I mean, COVID and all kinds, you know, people have been retrenched, people's uh, finances have gone down. Uh, I was just saying to Kevin earlier on, I can't believe it. Uh, what a difficult financial year it's been for Laureen and I, and uh, last year I got depression, and uh, I had to go for a gastroscopy and a colonoscopy, and I'm on tablets for my stomach, and I take uh, approximately 12 tablets every day, and <laughs> it's a sign of getting old, <laughs> so if I jump and down and you hear something, <laughs> it's not my bones, it's all the tablets inside of my stomach, But year to date, and the year for discovery hasn't ended, it only ends uh, at the end of February. Discovery haven't paid 55,000 rands worth of medication for me. So I've had to pay 55,000 rand out of my back pocket for, for tablets. <laughs> it's just like, oh Lord, this is a testing season. And, uh, but it's all good because we're going through these testing times. And, and the story that I, I'm going to be preaching about is out of the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 1, if you've got your Bibles, your cell phones, or if you memorize Jeremiah, I'd like to cast, ask you to cast your minds onto chapter 1 of Jeremiah. So we're not going to read through verses 1 to 4, but I'll give you a little bit of background, because in the season that we're in at the moment, God does not want us to shrink back. No, no, He actually wants us to take a step forward with courageous faith. And he wants us to grab these difficulties and run this race with endurance. And he doesn't want us to give up. And he doesn't want us to give out. And say, like, my tapping out, time is out. I'm going to give up on Jesus no more. This uh, God thing, you know, it doesn't work for me because I've, I've prayed to God for more finances to cover my medical bills. And the heavens are like bronze. <laughs> but when the going gets tough, that's when we're called to become courageous for God. Be strong and be courageous. And this is what Jeremiah did in his days. It's a bit of background. We know from Jeremiah 1 to 2 that the words of God came to Jeremiah in the 13th year of King Josiah's reign over Judah, 
which dates back to approximately 627 years BC, before Christ. So it's 627 years before Christ. And if you think about this, his ministry, Jeremiah's ministry, started some 2,645 years ago. And the cool thing is, I mean, that's a long time. And the cool thing is, what happened to him then, 2,640 years ago, is so relevant to you and I today. That's amazing. You know, you read the Bible and you say, okay, that was for then. That's the old times, not for me. It was for Jeremiah. And Jeremiah is also known as the weeping prophet. And I'll tell you why he's a weeping prophet in a while. And um, we know from uh, Jeremiah 1, uh, 3, uh, it spans over a period of 11 years when Zedekiah uh, was the king, 568 B.C. And then Jeremiah, his work for the Lord lasted 41 years. Okay, so if you've just been born, you've got 41 years. Whatever your age is, add 41 years to that. I know my wife will make 41 years. I'm not going to make 41 years. Because I've always said, God, she's asked for a long life. And I don't want to be around when Laureen's walking around one of those things. I don't want to be around when I've got to wipe Laureen's behind and, and scrub her uh, teeth the false teeth that Kevin's going to put in. I'm going to say, Lord, beam me up, Scotty. <laughs> Before those days. No, I'm joking. I love my wife. And I, I'd love to see our lives, as we are at the moment, continue till death do us part. She's a, she's a brilliant lady. I love her two bits. But this book spans over 41 years of Jeremiah's ministry to Israel with one message. And this is a message we must all take to heart. Turn back and repent. It's the only message you have. Turn back and repent. And Jeremiah came at a very important time in the life of Israel. Just as you, where you're sitting right now, and, where, and how you're listening, you have come here in a time and a place, just like Jeremiah, in a very important time. You know what's going down in the world. You see what's happening in America. You can see what's happening in Europe. Vaxxers, anti-vaxxers, people striking. President Joe Biden saying, if you don't get vaccinated, you get fired. Um, you have the woke society. You have the LGBTQ, whatever, you know, and all the other things. You can be whatever you want to be. You can be multi-sex, bisexual. You could be a computer. You can identify as whatever you want to identify yourself as. And uh, there was a young man or somebody who was going around uh, in America, in New York, and he was posting um, or pasting posters on uh, street poles. And all that he wrote on there, it's right to be white. That has been classified as hate speech. And in the, school, in the schools at the moment, they treat, treat, they're teaching the kids critical race theory. And uh, the, all the white kids have to adopt a heart and an attitude of slavery to the blacks inside the school and, and be apologetic for being white. I mean, it's like, hang on, we're living in like the 21st, 22nd century. I mean, what is going on with these guys? Well, that's from BLM. And the government is just caving into that. We say, you know, when America sneezes, 
the rest of the world catches a cold. And these things are heading to us like a train that's out of control. And before we realize it, we're going to be hammered with the same things, with the same situations. So this is why I'm saying, you have been called to a time and a place such as this. So I ask you to listen to this message very clearly. See, we all need courageous but kind voices. Andrew spoke yesterday at the gathering. You know, you go with gentle and persuasive words. You don't, like me, when, my, when I got saved, I got home, and I said to my son, listen, I want to see you in heaven, and I Bible bashed him. I virtually took a Bible and hit him over the head with it. He's still not saved. But slowly now, God has taught us to be kind and gentle and persuasive. And I think next time we go over, him and his wife, we are trusting that he will commit his life to the Lord. We're believing that. We're praying for that. And then uh, hopefully you'll come to that. So Jeremiah was that kind of guy today. I mean, we're facing difficult times, and you're going to be given a message, and you're going to have to go out there and do something about this. Because God doesn't want you to be a pew warmer. And these aren't pews. These are the most beautiful chairs in Joshua's generation. We were thinking of moving them to other congregations, giving them white plastic chairs. There's other congregations that are more deserving. Like Mossel Bay. These chairs are a legacy of Wilmeray. I don't want to go down that road because I'll start crying, honestly. I love Will so much. Anyway, I just catch my breath. Jazz, I told you I'm not going to cry. In Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5, you can stick that up on the board for me. God told him, that before he was formed in the womb, God had concentrated him and appointed him to be a prophet of the nations. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. In other words, I set you apart. I set you aside. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Which is absolutely amazing. So what we learn from this verse is that your physical existence doesn't determine your existence. Let me say that again. Your physical existence does not determine your existence. As far as God is concerned, He said, let there be an earth. He thought about it and He said, let there be an earth. Suddenly there was an earth. He said, let there be a Kevin. And Kevin popped out of his mom's womb. Mom and dad had to be a little bit intimate in the process, but he knew Kevin before Kevin existed. How amazing is that? It's something to think about. And so I said, the title of this preach is Walk Into Your Calling, because each one of us have a calling by God. So you might not realize this, but God knew each one of you before you were born. Tell that to the person next to you. God knew you before you were born. Some of you got like long distance between each other, I'll say it, before you were born, God knew you, and He called you, and He predestined you. So when you popped out of mom's belly, well, not out of her belly, wherever you popped out of, <laughs> don't go there. 
God didn't get a surprise and say, Whoa! There's Hebron! Where did he come from? Hebron's still wondering where he came from. Kev, you're the love doctor. You're going to have to sit. You and Mandy are going to sit down with Hebron and explain the birds and the bees. And... Okay. So as far as God is concerned, He declares that you exist before you came into existence. Before you existed, He knew you were going to exist. It sounds like Greek thinking, but we can't think like Greeks. We've got to think like Hebrews. I mean, that's to me like absolutely mind-blowing. Before I existed, God knew I was going to be around. God tells Jeremiah, Two other things in Jeremiah 1 verse 5. He says, before you were born, he already anointed him. Now, before you were born, God anointed you. And he's like, what? I mean, I wasn't even saved. I only got saved at 47. God anointed me, and he called me before I was born. How amazing is that? God is good. Are you, okay. Jeremiah was born to be a prophet. And like Jeremiah, you and I were born already with an eternal purpose. Each one of us, as you sit here, have been born with an eternal purpose. The problem is, for 90% of us, we're not walking in what God has called us to be. You see, sometimes we know better than God. Came out of the finance and stewardship teaching. Now God, I'll just do my thing, that Frank Sinatra song, I'll do it my way. And God says, no, no, I called you for a plan and purpose. You're going to do it my way. And we've got to be obedient to God. God says, I desire obedience above sacrifice. So we want to be obedient to him. So we don't have to come with a purpose. God created us for a purpose. We don't have to come with a reason for living, because He's given each one of you a reason to live. And I know some of us, at times, we feel hopeless, and we feel God has forgotten about us, God has deserted us. Well, I prayed to a bronze ceiling, and it was during COVID that I went through a tough time, and I wanted to take my life. And God said, no, I've called you for a reason and a purpose. And I had to be obedient to Him. Your obedience is better than sacrifice. But... Anyway, we don't go down that road. And so many of us right now feel aimless, hopeless, confused, and lost. How many of you are feeling like that right now? Like an aimless generation. I'm so confused. I am lost. I mean, just what is life all about right now? I mean, really? Going through such a tough time. And God wants us to know that he's already hardwired you with a purpose. Just as Steve Jobs pre-designed the Apple computer, God pre-designed you. He hardwired you. He put the hard drive in you. And it all works according to his keyboard, not on your ways. He made you with a purpose in mind. His purpose, not your purpose. Many of us say, I know what my purpose and destination is in life is. I'm going to do this. And God just sits in heaven and shakes his head and says, no, actually, you're going about it the wrong way. 
You're going to be like the Israelites, like Kim, and go around the mountain for 40 years. I went around the mountain for 47 years before I realized that Jesus was real, before I committed my life to the Lord. And you see, His purpose is hardwired into our very DNA. It's not an accident. He's wired you with a purpose. It's in your DNA. And you and I are going to have to live courageously in the season of our lives. As I said, we feel aimless, hopeless, meaning, meaningless. But we're going to have to live courageous lives in the season that we're in at the moment. The question is, is Jeremiah's predestined calling by God something unique that we can't really apply to us personally? So I mean, they, you know, no, no, I just want to choose Jeremiah. The rest of you guys, you're just going to watch. You're just going to listen. No, no, God responds like this in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. And Ephesians, remember, Jeremiah's Old Testament. Ephesians is in the New Testament. This is applicable to you and I. It says there, furthermore, because of Christ, we have received an inheritance from God. For He chose us from the beginning. And all things happen just as He has decided long ago. Before you were born. He had already decided. So it wasn't only applicable to Jeremiah. It is applicable to me. And it's applicable to you. Say, oh, it's applicable to me. Come on, I didn't hear that. Be convicted by this. It's applicable to me. No, thank you. At least somebody felt convicted there. And like Jeremiah knew, and was called, he's called us purpose personally before we were even born. Second question, what are, the, what are God's four stated actions in verse 5? He said, I formed you, and so we are equipped as we are for His purpose. He says, I knew you, and we are individual, individually called for His purpose. He says, I consecrated you. In other words, we have been separated. We have been separated from the world's ways. Why don't you live differently to the world? We're not of this world. We're temporary beings. If you look at some of the guys, I was speaking to uh, Nikki Brainstump. He's planted a church on the Gold Coast of Australia. I think they've grown to about eight people. And he says, Kim, one of the most difficult things that the kids miss at the moment, they're loving Australia, but they don't have kids' play dates anymore. So I said, why not? He says, no, the kids blaspheme every second word. See, that's the world's ways. And he said, I've never heard people swear and blaspheme as much as the Australians. I think that's why most of us always want to thrash them in rugby and cricket. Because we are like kind of Christians, you know, and we can't bear the fact that these guys, are there any Aussies in here, by the way? I hope you've given up swearing. <laughs> and then he says, I've appointed you. And we have all been specifically called for His purpose. His purpose. And some of us just veer off on our own purpose and our own ways. And we say, no, this is the way I think I should go. And we, Lord, that's still small voice. No, I must have had a bad pizza last night. I'm still going to do it my way. Like, I'm not going to join the worship team. 
So it's very important for you to know before you were born, God already knew you. Before you were born, God already anointed you. Before you were born, God already appointed you. The script has been written. You don't have to be afraid. God has already determined that you and I have a purpose. And it's no accident, as I said earlier on, that you are sitting on this planet right now. He predetermined that. That you're going to be here today. And for those guys that can't be here today, ah, pity, man. They can listen to the recording. (laughs) 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 9 says this. God saved us and called us to a holy calling. Not because of our works, but because of His own purposes and grace, which He gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Confirmation again. He called us for His purposes, for His plans. Not for your plans, not for your purposes, but for His in light of this, how should we respond? Now, don't run for the door, guys. How should we respond so we can live this calling with courage? Well, Jeremiah responded in fear. He didn't think he had, like most of it, what it took to be who God had created him to be. And maybe you are feeling the same way right now. God Did you really call call me? Are you really calling me? Let's look at Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 6. He says, remember he was called to be a prophet, and he says, O sovereign Lord, I can't speak for you, for I am too young. That was the first excuse. I am too young. Now many of us have many excuses. I'm too old. I'm too round. I'm still trying to get into shape. Uh, I don't know the word. Uh, I, I don't hear your voice. I'm too busy. And I'm going to ask, who's 15 years older there? Any 15-year-olds? Come on, there must be a 15-year-old in there. I was going to look at, uh, yeah, Jenny, we wish you were 15. <laughs> Come on, there must be a 15-year-old in there. No? Okay, Jeremiah the time that he was uh, called by God, when God started speaking to him, was only 15 years old. He was a snot cop. I mean, can you imagine? I think that's half the reason why he was called the weeping prophet. He was only 15 years old, and he was given this mandate by God with one word, go into the nations and tell them to repent and turn from their wicked ways. How old are you, young man? 12. Oh, just come here quickly, I'll use you as an example. Let's take off your mask for a second. So look at this. I mean, okay, he's, got, he's short of 15 years. He's 12. Back to back. <laughs> but just look at him. Take a good look at him. Yeah. 
Doesn't he look sweet and innocent? Hey? His parents are proud of him, eh? I mean, I as a gentle kid, he's got a wonderful heart. God has called him with a plan and a purpose. But God just told him, you're going to be a prophet of the nations, going to the nations, going to the king's throne rooms, and tell the king, you need to repent. Thanks, buddy, you can sit down. So I'll ask you again, what excuse are you using? Remember, he sent a 15-year-old boy. And the Lord told Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 6. He said, um, just after that, he said, don't say that, God, God replied. For you must go wherever I send you and say whatever I tell you. You must go wherever I send you and say whatever I tell you. I mean, God's speaking to us all the time. You need to go where God's telling you to go. So Kevin runs a wonderful dentistry at the moment. Is this called a dentistry? Eh? Dental practice. I've made a new word, dentistry. Very successful. And maybe God's called him to do that. He's equipped him, anointed him to do that, to fix people with ugly teeth like I've got. That could be his calling, but it could also not be his calling. Maybe God said to Kevin, Kevin, I want you to come into full-time ministry. But he's making too much money in his <laughs> practice. And he's saying, Lord, I don't want to hear that. <laughs> it's like the time you guys, most, most of you know that uh, I used to work for Calvin Klein. And when I resigned, they asked me, so where are you going to go? And I said, no, I'm going to become a full-time pastor. And they said, what's that, like a priest? And I said, yes. And then I hung up the phone, or they hung up the phone on me, and I thought, okay, that's it. The next day they phoned me, and they offered me like a 20% increase, and it was a load of money. And I went home, and I saw, I said, Lorraine, come and sit here. We need to have a talk. So the first thing that went through Lorraine's mind is, oh, no, what did King get up to now? <laughs> so I said, no, it's not, not that. You know, I'm a Christian. I still love God. So I said, Calvin Klein just offered me a lot of money to stay. Do you really believe that we've been called to full-time ministry? Now, my salary was going to drop by about 90%. So I thought she's going to give me the right answer. She didn't. She says, of course, we've been called to full-time ministry. <laughs> oh, my heart sank. Oh, Lord, Lord, no. But we had to be obedient. He says, I require obedience before sacrifice. God said to him, don't say you only are you. You know, it's an amazing thing. That God believes in you more than you believe in yourself. God believes in you more than you believe in yourself. You think I'm shy, I'm timid, I don't know, I'm not equipped, I don't know God's word. Um, I, I, I just want to be an introvert when it comes to Christianity. I just want to hang out and be cool with my friends and I'm not going to say anything. But God says, I believe in you more than you believe in yourself. How amazing is that? What is God telling you to go and do right now? And are you willing to go where God tells you to go and speak what God is telling you to speak? It's going to take courage, guys. Put it on my chest. I don't only wear it on my sleeve. I wear it close to my heart. It's going to take courage. And you're going to have to trust God. 
key. God, I'm going to trust you in this. So many times I've had to trust God in decisions that we were making. I remember when I first came onto full-time ministry, I had no debt. And suddenly Lorena had to get hearing aids, 30,000 rand. I had to go in for a shoulder operation. I think the guys in Milderton will still remember that operation that I had on my left shoulder. And, we, and hospital bills and everything racked up to about 70,000 rand. And I said, God, but you've just called me to full-time ministry. My credit card is now sitting at 70,000 rand. Where am I going to get the money? I mean, my salary had dropped by about 90%. I mean, I mean, we had to cut the dog food out of our budget. And the Lord said, <laughs> no, I'm serious. The poor dogs are starting to get thinner. And I was sitting there by my desk, and I was praying, and the Lord said to me, there's an envelope there from Momentum. Open it. I said, Lord, this is one of those envelopes that you get, you know. Do you need a loan? You qualify for a loan for 300,000 rand. All you have to do is fill in your details. And every time I get one of those envelopes, I don't even open them. I tear them up. I said, I'm not going to be tempted by Satan. I don't want to go in there. And God says to me again, open that letter. And eventually, out of obedience, I said, okay, Lord, but I'm already in debt. I don't want to create more debt. So I open the envelope, and I start reading it. It says, dear Mr. Miller, because you lived in South Africa, Calvin Klein couldn't take uh, you onto their uh, pension scheme. So in the bank account right now, with momentum, there's 80,000 rand, which you can withdraw or reinvest. So I was like, is this real? So I phoned Momentum immediately. I didn't even say amen, thank you, Jesus. Momentum, is there 80,000 rand in the bank account? I said, yes. Do you want us to reinvest? I said, no, just deposit it in my bank account so I can pay off all my debt. So I paid off the 70,000 rand, uh, 10,000 rand left in my back pocket. And I was just like, thank you, Jesus. How great is our God. He's absolutely amazing. So we've got to go... And do what God asks us to do and speak what God tells you to speak. And it's going to get, take courage. For those of you guys, uh, how many of you guys were at the gathering yesterday? Just stick up your hand. Yeah, most of you guys. It was awesome. I remember Andrew spoke about be the light. God talk. Go and start mixing with the heathen and the Philistines and whatever you want to call them. Unsafe people. Don't tell them I've said they're heathens and Philistines. They'll never come to a bra. <laughs> Just tell them, come to a bra. And in the back of your mind, you Philistine. <laughs> See, it's going to take courage for you to eventually start speaking to them. Do you know, many of us are so afraid of talking about Jesus. Do you know, what if the person rejects me? What if the person bolts if I say Jesus Christ? What if he's an Australian? <laughs> but we've got to trust God. God, I'm, I'm, I'm trusting you through this. I want to be obedient. I'm going to say what you want me to say. Yes, and we've got to trust God because we all have inadequacies in our life. And we have insecurities that bleed through us all the time. So Lorraine and I were sitting in a restaurant the other day. It was the Ocean Basket. We're talking to that couple that came from Holland, 
Vim and Elizabeth. I don't know if you guys met them. Super couple. Love them to bits. And we were talking the whole night. And eventually I said, okay, I'm going to go and pay for the bill. I went to the counter because they don't bring you to the bill to the table. You've always got to go to the counter at Ocean Basket for some unknown reason. So I was standing there and a young girl, she must have been about 15, 16 years old, came up to me and she said to me, are you a pastor? So I said, actually, yes, I am. So I said, how did you know? She said, the whole night, all we heard was you talking about Jesus. So I said, yeah, we love him. He's my Lord and he's my God. She said, will you pray for my dad? I said, sure. What, what's wrong with him? He says, no, he's got throat cancer. So I said, what's his name? He says, Neville. I said, I'll pray for him. Where's he? He says, no, no, he doesn't want you to pray for him now. So I said, okay. So she leaves the restaurant. Five minutes later, she comes back into the restaurant. She says, my dad says, please come and pray for him. So I walk out the restaurant, and he's got a buff. Uh, somebody's sitting here, I saw with a buff. Just come stand here for, for a moment. Yeah. No. At least, at least he's my heart. So, what I'm going to ask you is just to lift your back from the bottom. Okay. So, so I said to him, so he says, I walk out, I stick out my hand, and I say, hey, I'm Kim, and I shook his hand. And he lifts his buff like this, and he takes one of those machines, and he says, oh, yeah, my, my name is Neville. Throat cancer. Thank you. So I said to him, do you know Jesus Christ? And he goes like this to me. So what does that mean? No. So I said, Neville, I can pray for you right now. But my prayers will fall to the ground and will mean nothing. He said, the only way my prayers will be effective is if you receive Jesus Christ and your Lord and Savior right now. I said, would you like to receive Jesus is your Lord and Savior. Yes, please. So I prayed for him there and then. I don't know what's happened to him and his daughter, but I do believe that we took one soul that was destined for hell and placed him in eternity with Jesus Christ. See, God is big enough to give you the strength and the courage to overcome any fear that is in your heart. And the things that he's asked you to do. He says in his word. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. But yet we think. I'm on my own now. There's a song that goes. I think you're on your own now. Remember it's like about the 60s or 70s. Came on. Most of you guys wouldn't remember it. <laughs> Who sang it? So, oh, I think you're alone now. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so God goes and tells Jeremiah in Jeremiah 1 verse 8. You can stick that on the screen for me quickly. He says, and don't be afraid of the people, for I'll be with you and take care of you. I, the Lord, have spoken. Now take that in. Drink that in. Believe that. Wherever you go, I'm going to be with you. Do not be afraid. But yet we stand in front of somebody and suddenly fear grips us. I can't tell you how many times in the book 
the word that God says, do not be afraid. In the book of Joshua, in chapter 1, the first section, he says to Joshua before he crosses the Jordan into the promised land, Joshua, do not be afraid. Joshua, do not be afraid for I am with you. Joshua, do not be afraid. He actually told Moses that as well, just before we go into the book of Joshua. Tell him not to be afraid. But yet many of us are sitting here afraid. If God sends you, he's going to go with you. If God sends you, he's going to go with you. So, do you know the difference between faith and courage? Rian recited faith out of Hebrews. I'll say it this way. Faith is when we say, I'm going to listen to what God wants to say to me and believe it is from Him. I've heard God speaking to me. God, do you want me to give up Calvin Klein? Yes. God, do you want me to go and pray for that person? Yes. Courage is when you say, I am going to do it. Faith is, I've heard from God. Courage is to say, okay, I'll do it, God, because you're with me. He said, you'll never leave me, you'll never forsake me, just as he did in Jeremiah 1-8. So courageous faith in action demands that you believe that God made you and knows you, and it requires you to believe that God created you with a purpose. It gives you the confidence. I just love it when God speaks to me and says, go and speak to that person. I remember Laurie and I, we went to pick and pay, and there's a couple in front of us. They were old. Now, <clears throat> I think they were our age. <laughs> and we felt the Lord said, pay for their groceries. So we said, okay, Lord, really? Really? Okay, we're going to step out. God is with us. Break fear. Courageously step forward. So we paid, prayed, paid for their groceries. We didn't pray for their groceries. We paid for their groceries. And they waited for us. And they said, why did you pay for groceries? Said, no, we just felt God said, we need to pay for it. Said, really? Said, yeah, God spoke to us, and we wanted to be obedient, so we paid for groceries. Said, Thank you so much. You know, we're you know, close to pension, and we're living on a pension, a salary. And uh, this would have been our last bit of money for the month. And it's only like midway through the month. This, will be, this has to see us to the end of the month. They said to us, which church do you go to? So we said, to Joshua Generation, there's one in Sunningdale. They said to us, isn't that the church called the Jolly Jumpers? <laughs> Jesus, mind the chairs. Jesus. So I said to them, yes, it is. They're still in that church today. They're still in that church today, serving the Lord. So that's just being obedient. See, courageous faith in action challenges you to be and to do it for God, regardless of what it costs you. Now, there's always going to be a cost when you do things for God. So if I say to Kevin today, God is saying to you, Kevin, you have to give up your dentist practice. Your dental practice. He's going to say, Kim, that's not a prophetic word. You had bad pizza last night. <laughs> but it could be God. Because God needs him to adopt courageous faith. To step out of what he's doing. And for many of you, he's asking you to do that right now. 
God calls Jeremiah and God puts his hand on Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 9. Stick that up on the board. It's Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 9. Have you got it there, Mike? No, that's 2 Timothy 1 verse 9. Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 9. Haven't you got it? One second. 101. No. Okay, I'll read it to you. Jeremiah 1. Point nine says this, God puts out his hand and touches Jeremiah's mouth and puts words into Jeremiah's mouth. And then in 1 verse 10, he says, and I have set you over the nations and over the kingdoms. Now you've got this 15-year-old standing there. You've set me over the nations. I look at this little guy. You've set me over the nations and the kingdoms. I've got to go to the king's throne rooms. 15-year-old, dear king, the Lord says, you must turn from your wicked ways and repent. The king's going to look at him and clap him, threaten him with a sword or a spear, and that's why he's known as the weeping prophet, because he got clapped so many times. I mean, who are you, a 15-year-old snot cop coming in here telling me what to do? But it took courageous faith. He knew that God was with him, so he could go anyway. And anyway, but just imagine being called a prophet to the nations and to the kingdoms and to do what God wanted him to do. God just didn't want Jeremiah to be courageous. He wanted to know his courage that he was being sent up by the power of God and with the authority of God as well. He said, okay, that's cool. That's all Old Testament stuff, but wait, I'm getting there. And I realize that as Christians, we have to be careful how we wield the power of God today. Some of us, you know, take it for granted. Some of us don't know that you have the power of God in you. Jesus and the Holy Spirit resides within you. Andrew said, the light of Jesus shines through you. Don't hide underneath the bucket. That's all in Matthew. Let your line shine brightly. You see, we have too many timid. Christians today, not courageous Christians. You and I need to see ourselves as God sees us. It's like evangelism. You know, we're too timid to invite that stranger over to our house or that friend who doesn't know Jesus. Not being courageous, not being obedient to God. See, evangelism is no longer going up to a door, knocking on the door and saying, Hey, have you heard about Jesus? Slam, gun, whatever the case is. Now, I remember when I was a young man, which is like before the Rundapest. A lot of you guys don't know what the Rundapest is. Welcome back, Dave. <laughs> what, Facebook? <laughs> no, I'm joking. You know, somebody used to knock on the door. And we couldn't wait to see who it was. Is it Uncle Bill? Is it Auntie Mari? Who is it? And we all used to run to the door. All the kids, I'm there first. And I opened the door. And who's there? Who's there? These days, if somebody knocks on the door, the lights go off and everybody hides away. <laughs> who's at the door? You know, it could be a terrorist. It could be a Jehovah's Witness. <laughs> it could be, you know, Dave and Michelle. <laughs> joking. 
We'd love to have you back in our home again, man. You guys are legends. You know, God wants us to know that He has given us the authority and the power. And Jesus told us in Matthew 28, verse 18 to 20, one of my favorite scriptures. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, read this with me, I am with you always to the end of age. That's for every one of us. You've been given the authority. Jesus lives in you. The same authority that he had over earth you're carrying in your hearts right now. And he's called you to go out to the nations. He's called you to go out into your neighborhood. He's called you to go out into your business with courageous faith and speak to them because you have been given the authority. You have been given the mandate. You have been given this great commission to go into the nations and make disciples. In other words, our commission and our calling is this. Go and speak on my behalf. Go out and speak on my behalf. Where's Jesus now? And we're waiting for his great return. Trumpets are going to blast. Or there's going to be a big shofar. One of those. I think it's going to be trumpets and band, big band, whatever. But anyway, he's going to come. And I can't wait to be with him. It's going to be amazing just where Uncle Will is at the moment. But there's a flip side to this. Let's just take a look at Matthew chapter 7. 21 to 23, and I say this is the most scariest verse in the Bible, in the New Testament that you should be reading, locking into, burning on your hearts, says to this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father, the one who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name? And do mighty works in your name. And then I will declare to them, this is Jesus to all of us sitting here as Christians. I never knew you. Now, there's many of us sitting here that have prophesied, we brought words to the front. There are many of us that have laid hands on people and saw demons coming out, white foam, we've seen people fall over. Many of us. Chick Jazz laughing over here. And many of you have done mighty works. You know, and some of the mighty works is, you know, maybe you've been called to be an engineer. I was thinking about this the other day. And you built this most incredible bridge. And it's like, wow, state of the art. It's beautiful and everybody admires it. And you put your plaque on there and say, this bridge was built by me with my name on it. Kim Miller, engineer of note. Who's been glorified? Me. See, I've done mighty works. 
He's talented me. He's gifted me. He called me to be an engineer. But I'm taking all the glory instead of pointing the glory to him. So it is my prayer to you guys that he will give you the grace to rise up and to live courageously. He has a calling on you for every day. Not just some days, every day. And we need to practice the every day. And it's got to do with relationships with people. And please don't go and say, okay, to your cat or your dog, all authority has been given to me. Your dog will bite you. <laughs> don't be afraid to be who God has called you to be. Don't be afraid of this. He's with you. He wants you to have courageous faith. No, no, please hear that. Don't be afraid to be who God's called you to be. He doesn't want you to shrink back, shrivel back, hide in dark corners. No, he wants you to go out there and be who he's called you to be. He also wants you to go out there and do what he's called you to do on the planet Earth today. I told you what's happening in America, and it's going to hit us quickly. We're fighting something like 21 cases with the Constitutional Court through Freedom of Religion South Africa, what they want us to do. They want to block us preaching to you. They don't want us to preach anymore. And if we do preach, we've got to submit our preachers to them before we can preach. I mentioned And if they listen to this preach, they can find me and stick me in jail because it's hate speech. And this is what we're facing in South Africa right now. There's some ridiculous pastors out there, you know, like doom spray and all kinds of things. They raised dead. Did you see the one where they, that guy raised, raised the guy from the dead? He was in the coffin and this pastor came and he says, you know, in the name of Jesus Christ, Get up. But he still had his cell phone pocket in his jacket when he got up. <laughs> and he was breathing. <laughs> this is all a big hoax. There's another guy, this sounds crude, but there's a true story. He makes the guys lie down and he bends over them and he blows some gas over the guy's face. And then there's healing. The demons come out of him. I think any demon. Out of anybody, if that happened to me. So now I'm going to ask you in ending this go and be the person God has created you to be for His glory and others' good. There's a lot of people that need Jesus right now. There's a lot of people that need Jesus now. Why are you laughing? <laughs> Just got that picture, eh? Can't get it out of your mind. I'm sorry I used it. The world needs you right now. The world needs us. And the word says, the harvest is ripe. Pray for the harvesters. We are the harvesters. We need to go out into the nations. Starting with your neighbor, your friends, your colleagues, peers. And start being courageous. Start speaking to them about the easiest way to evangelize to somebody is tell them what Jesus has done to you. I used to be an adulterer. 
I used to drink a lot. I used to take life for granted. I abused my wife in terms of messing around. Spent more money on me than I did on the family. But God has changed me. And the guy in the gym says, what? And I said, yeah. I was also unemployed for two years. I was walking in the desert for two years. And really? Couldn't find a job. I said, look, I probably sent out about 300 CVs. And I went for 100 interviews. Nobody wanted to employ me. Really? Yeah, but God provided in those two years. I never lacked anything. The guy came to this church. I'll never forget. He committed his life to the Lord. It was amazing. Saw potential on him. Leadership, possibly eldership. But he also had sons with him. His son was 13. And after about three months, he disappeared. Like, where did he go? And then one day, he walked past my house. And I ran downstairs. I saw him through my upstairs window in our room. And I ran downstairs. I said, where are you? We haven't seen you for months. He says, no, no. His son's got a whole lot of friends at the View Church. And they've decided to go there. And I said, you know what? You're making such a grave mistake. You are the head of the home. You're the priest of the home. You're the leader of the home. How can you be dictated to by your son? How can you give in to your son? You're going to lose your reward in heaven. Oh, the guy was bush with me. I mean, he was so cross. He turned around and walked away. I don't know where he is today. They've moved. But, um, yeah, it's about being obedient to God and having courageous faith. That was courageous faith to go and tell him that he made a grave mistake by listening to his son. And many of us listen to our children. Hey, guys, what do you want to do this weekend? Mom, I want to go shopping. Take me to Canal Walk. Okay, off we go to Canal Walk. Dad taking him along in the background. There's a lot of people laughing. They recognize that. Now, you the head of the home. You the leader of the home. You the priest of the home, guys. Lead. Send, talk to your neighbors. Once you've spoken to your neighbors, speak to their neighbors. Let's take this town or this city or this Edgemead and treat that as the nation. Once we've taken Edgemead, we're going to go further. Maybe you're going to catch me in Tableview one of these days. So, Kim, you don't know Jesus. We need to preach to you. Amen.